News Talk On Demand. Interruption free audio where you want it, when you want it. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay Thomas. With me, like always, Jill Van Dyke. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. We've got Rick, who's away. He's uh, basking in the sun somewhere warm right now. So yeah, it's I, Jill and I for a little while. I talked to him the other day, and he is soaking up the sun and enjoying the beautiful sunsets. And he rubs it in all the time by sending <laughs> me some pictures as well. Yeah, he would do that, wouldn't he? <laughs> he does. <laughs> and of course, I get some beautiful pictures of some of the, the nice tropical plants that are down there, too. So The stuff that just grows in the ditches that we pay big money for here. Yeah, the beautiful right? bougainvilleas and the hibiscus. It's just such a such a beautiful time just to sort of see that when it's so cold here. I'm struggling to keep my hibiscus alive right now. I'm just praying it makes it through. We've got it under some lights, some grow lights now. Now it's starting to come a little, few, few new little buds coming out. So I think it's going to do better. But It'll be fine. Just remember, <sighs> we need the light for that one to start yeah, producing a, more leaves. So, so we don't have around here. Okay, we've got a special guest today. Aaron Cron is joining us from Lakeshore Garden Center, Lakeshore Tree Farms. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Jay. Thanks. <laughs> this is great. I'm excited to have Aaron. Aaron, like me, is a multi generational business and um uh, aaron just maybe tell us a little bit about how how you got started in the industry sort of some of your passions a little bit sure um my grandfather george cron and his family his foster family came to saskatchewan in the 1920s and um while they were farming here they had brought over from southern ukraine some of their uh hobbyist uh horticultural expertise and grew some fruit trees on the shores of Wilson Lake out in um, Struan, Saskatchewan. And uh, demand grew, and they released their first catalog in 1936 under Lakeshore Fruit Tree Nursery and did mail-order um, small fruit trees, uh, supplying all of the homesteads that were uh, continuing to develop in Saskatchewan. Well, I mean, at that time of the, the you know, in history in Saskatchewan, that was like the big boom, right, of of homesteads coming up, you know, uh, immigrants coming to Canada, setting up a farm, clearing the land, and then, you know, putting up a homestead and and, and fruit trees, all that other stuff that had to go with it, right? Yeah. Shelter belts, all that kind of thing, right? Right, and it was a new place for, um, for settlers to uh, adapt to. We live in a Siberian climate here. A Siberian, like, desert almost, uh, A right? cold desert. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Uh, what worked in Ontario or in um, or even in Europe uh, didn't work here, and the, the the type of plants we had to play with to get the trees and shrubs that work here, especially the fruit, had to come from uh, colder climates like northern China and Siberia. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like the pioneers in the industry, creating these seedlings, seed, plant, putting them in the ground here, seeing what worked, and then developing almost a list or a catalog of plants that, hey, these are successful here in our climate. And I love that that's something that our grandparents have been a part of, like pioneering here and creating different cultivars that have been um, been spread across uh, Canada and the states now that that are successful here. So that's pretty amazing. Creating them, also just uh, you know uh, curating them. There was yep. uh, so many genetics that weren't tried here, and um, it's a lot of trial and error, a lot of error, and uh, over time, generally generational experience builds up, and um, hopefully, eventually gets cataloged at some point and. 
that knowledge can be accessible by the rest of us. So I have a, I have a question. So I, when I think of, you know, like, you know, a, a 50s or 60s home, for example, you always think a lot of people had gardens and definitely had apple trees around. But apple trees really weren't native to Saskatchewan at all. But we have them that grow here. So was it was it your family that brought a lot of that stuff? How did they get that stuff, you know, from, from China? Did they go over there, bring it back with them? How did that work? Well, one of the pioneers in in that in Saskatchewan, the name Seeger Wheeler, a lot of people mm. have heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, the forestry farm here in Saskatoon had uh, people working there that it was their passion. Um, Les Kerr was uh, a name that pops up. Um, there's a few that are off the top of my head, I can't remember. But these were contemporaries of my grandfather. They were people who were older than my grandfather. Okay, actually. yeah. And, um, and knowledge was just shared by uh, getting together as an association. The associations were created over time of growers and uh, and they would trade things back and forth over winter. Dormant bare root plants would arrive in the mail and we'd plant them out and uh, and try them here and then uh, and and uh, report the results. Gotcha. And that, that gets me to say like there's a website that Aaron was sh- shared with me. It's called prairietrees.ca. And you're, you're involved in, in the program there and, uh, it, they really do trials and these trees have to sit in these trials for a minimum of five years or up to a certain size. And then they get evaluated on their hardiness, on their disease resistance, so many different factors. What other things are they doing with that? Um, yeah, the Western Nursery Growers Group is just a private group of growers across Western Canada that supply the prairie zone and, um, on these four sites, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, they are planting things out and trying not just new things, but also putting uh, well-known varieties in for comparison. And if you go to that site, you'll see the graduates and the failures from that that trial, and you'll be able to see um, whether or not they're recommended for the zone. Yeah, so I was new to this. I know about all the trials with the annuals and perennials mm-hmm. and the and the tropicals and go down to the states and see them. But the tree trials are run a little bit differently. They're run over a long period of time, and anybody has access to the information. So it's uh, what's the website again? I'm prairietrees.ca. Prairietrees.ca, and you can go on there. You can sort of research your trees on there and uh, and figure out what is hardy to our zone two right. Siberian climate. Right, because I mean you can go to a lot of big box stores. You can go to places where you can all. Co- all kinds of places you can buy trees around Saskatchewan, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're picking up something that can go in the ground and really, really will survive well here, right? I mean, generally, I think those stores try to bring in stuff that is going to make it, but that's not always the case, right? And it all depends on where you are. We all know there's kind of microclimates within, say, mm, the cities, definitely. right? If you're downtown Saskatoon, Regina, you've got, you know, big elms and oaks and all kinds of things around that, you know, really protect yards. Versus being out in the wide open, bald, you know, mm-hmm. uh, say, say, especially around the south, near around Regina, it's, you know, flat, wide open. There's nothing to even stop the wind. So yeah. we're going to go over uh, some things in this show with Aaron about uh, some of the most successful varieties around and we'll talk about that. Some of the th- ones that really work well. We're going to ca- sort of compare and contrast a little bit between urban and rural landscaping, because like I mentioned, there's sort of different climates with that and different things you can pull off and, and sizes and all sorts of things we're going to talk about, that sort of thing. So, 
if you got a question for us, for Aaron especially, maybe you're looking for some guidance on what to plant. And this your- is your tree and shrub expert. Yeah. So call in and ask <laughs> any questions you can. You have our expert, your this expert at your fingertips right now. So call in and text us too. Let's take a quick break. We're going to talk more with Aaron here in a, a bit here from Lakeshore Garden Center and Lakeshore Tree Farms. I'm Jay with uh, Jill. This is Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thanks for joining us here on Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm Jay Thomas with Jill Van Dyvenake, and our special guest today is Aaron Cron from Lakeshore Garden Center and Lakeshore Tree Farm. So we were talking a little bit, uh, Aaron, before about how, you know, you guys started in 1936, and it started as a, a catalog order sort of business, ordering all, you know, fruit trees, that sort of stuff. But it's grown over the years and kind of moved around a little bit, right? People right. will remember you from the west side of the city, and now it's kind of over on the east side, right? Correct. So... When my grandfather and my grandmother were married after the war, um, that became their main source of income. Their main business was nursery growing. Mm-hmm. And uh, as they had children, they had to decide, are they going to move to Bigger or are they going to move to Saskatoon? Because uh, access to all the things that families need was an issue. Yeah. And so they packed up, I think it was around 1950 or 1951, and came to our old 11th Street West location. Um and you may remember Lakeshore Garden Center being there up until uh, the early 2000s. Okay, yep. Um, in the 80s, we uh, started another garden center location on the east side of town. And that has become our main location for our retail store and, um, and has flourished there. Uh, our 11th Street West location was um, ab- not abandoned, but... Uh, we moved on and we continued to do business as Lakeshore Tree Farms down on Valley Road, where we have about uh, what 250 a beautiful acres of, uh, over there. Of, of, of tree production there. Yeah, it's a really nice, quiet place. Lots of coyotes. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I just love like the rolling hills and so many trees and you drive by and like you have the sod farms on Valley Road. And- Valley Road is an interesting place to go. Lots yeah. of specialty places. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, you guys used to sort of be on the very edge of town. Now it's sort of creeping a little bit into town. There's now an overpass there and it's right next to the, the Greenbrier Golf and Country Club. Boy and Chuck and Highway 60. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that, but you know, we recently got an overpass there. So that was, uh, interesting watching out your back, just your backyard, basically <laughs> watching it all get built. But yeah, construction can really mess with, uh, a business that does most of its, uh, sales in very specific times of the year. Yeah, that, that and is Dutch growers uh, had some of those challenges one year as well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I, I love the way that our businesses kind of mirror each other so much and um, how the industry, especially in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan, it's, I almost feel like we haven't been competitors, but more like friends in the industry over the year. I remember um, one year the, the, the um, river raised so high it flooded our farm and First call was to, to Lakeshore, to your dad, Vic, and um, probably to you. You might have even come out. They sent their employees, some of their tractors, and we all worked together. And we mm-hmm. moved a bunch of trees to higher ground and all the shrubs so that things didn't get swept away by the river. And it's just, like, amazing how, like, over the years, um, it's not been a competitive um, mm-hmm. market between No, we've seen each other more as contemporaries, I yeah. think, is the, the best word. Yeah, and it, it's just been it's been really great relationship building over the years and, um, and friendship building. I mean, my dad and your dad have sat on boards for many years together. Traded traded presidencies back and forth. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Very cool. You know, we got a call that's come in. And let's go right now to Carlisle and talk to Mike, who's got a question about some shrubs. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Morning, everyone. How are you guys? Great. How are you? Good. Good. 
Uh, so I live in town, and I'd like to put a shrub that would divide our property lines from my neighbors to keep out the leaves in the fall and the garbage blowing across the streets and stuff like that. What do you guys recommend? Well, it sounds like what you're trying to do is to uh, plant a hedge. Does that sound Yes, right? a hedge, sorry. Right. So there's uh, lots of things you can do with that. The the, uh, I'm old... not into lilacs, or uh, sorry, carrigans. I don't. I don't want carrigans. <laughs> uh, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, you're going to look for a shrub that only gets in maturity six to eight feet tall. Something yep, that is nice. a vigorous shrub that you can trim multiple times. Um, traditional hedges around this area of the world include cotoneaster. Uh, Peking cotoneaster is his full name. Um, they can get some diseases, and this is what happens when you plant a lot of things in a row, is that you end up with, uh, if something goes wrong, then it goes wrong for the whole schmear, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, there's varieties of dwarf lilacs that uh, work well, although you only want to trim those once a year. And if you don't want those flowers, I know you said you maybe not, not want lilacs, you could just trim them in the fall and then you and won't, have, you flowers, won't have the flowers on them. That's exactly right. Okay, okay. So when you do trim lilacs, I would like to keep it a nice, clean, you know, six-foot, five-foot shrub. Um, trim them in the spring? Uh, if you want the flowers, you should okay, trim lilacs. Okay, I don't lilac. want the flowers. It's, okay. it's uh, the carrigans uh, I don't want. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can trim a lilac right after it's done blooming uh, to make sure that it uh, blooms the next year. Otherwise, okay. uh, a light trim anytime doesn't really okay. bother it. And what uh, what's some of the types of lilacs then? So a, a great dwarf lilac that's manageable is called dwarf Korean lilac. It's also known as Myers lilac. And uh, some of those dwarf lilacs, there's some new varieties with different colors out there, and you can look for those at your local garden center as well. Okay, awesome. And that's usually at all the greenhouses carry that? You'll find that at most independent garden centers uh, okay. and sometimes at uh, some of the more... Um, the bigger yeah, box, the bigger box stores. But yeah, stop by Lakeshore, Dutch Growers. Uh, there's lots of, you'll be able to find them at it. They're a very common variety, so just look for That's those right. dwarf lilacs. Okay, no, that sounds good. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. That's how you can join the conversation. If you have a text like Mike, a question like Mike did for Aaron, looking for some information like that. And you know, I think Aaron, uh, one thing you probably got a lot of knowledge about is is not only doing in town stuff, but out of town stuff. So what I mean is shelter belts, planning that stuff out, what to plant, you know, all the details that go along with that, right? Right. So there's different considerations. Uh, in, in the city here, we can micromanage our landscapes. We step out of our front door and there it is. It needs something we can give it. Mm -hmm. Uh, on a larger scale, on an acreage, um, it's best to go with, uh, uh, old standbys. And by that, I mean things that you don't have to worry about too much. Um, remember Siberian desert, right? Siberian <laughs> cold desert. Yeah. Right. And, uh, uh, so you're looking at Scott's Pine, Colorado Spruce, White Spruce, Hybrid Poplars. And, and that's uh, something you did mention like to me. Like you're, you're, if you're doing a rural area, you're best to plant lots, small, often. Right. Like plant it now. You, you'll, you'll never forgive yourself for not planting your it, trees. The best time to plant a tree is 15 years ago. <laughs> that's so. the thing you said. <laughs> um, I, I, think that, I think that on a rural landscape, uh, getting your evergreens going as soon as possible 
is something you'll never regret. Too often people say, well, they grow so slow. I want something now, now, now. So I buy an acreage, I dig the basement, and I look to where I'm going to plant my evergreens at the same time. Exactly. It's as soon as you move in. And and too often people want to plant trees before they've even moved to the land that they just bought. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really important to be there and to have, you know, your water systems ready uh, so that you can take care of what you plant mm-hmm. and so that it's, it, it succeeds. Yeah, I know before the water systems were ready at the, the lake house my parents built, uh, they were hauling the truck with, mm. the, with the water tank on the back watering those trees. That's the tough part is you mm-hmm. can't, you know, in the climate we live in, you can't just plop a tree into the ground and expect there to be enough water there mm. or the rain to take care of it, right? Mm-hmm. right? It doesn't really work like that. If you look at old photos of this area of the world 100 years ago, there were no trees growing here. This is the trees have no business growing here right? Uh, naturally. And so uh, we need to uh, modify things. Exactly, exactly. Um, we're, let's get a couple texts in. And we've got Dale and Regina. Dale, we're going to get your call as soon as we can. Just hang on a sec here. This is from Wendy in Saskatoon. Uh, she says, good morning. I had a mishap a couple of days ago. <laughs> My beautiful two-year-old Christmas cactus fell when I was watering it. Uh-oh. And <laughs> several stems broke off. Is there any way I can propagate it? Yeah, you definitely can. With the Christmas cactus, just like any succulent, you want to just take those little branches that have broken off, clean the edges off of them just so they're not jagged, and just let them cal- over first and then you can stick them back into soil and they will start rooting for you too. Okay and this is another great one from uh, Tom in Redverse it says we live on an acreage we're looking for a tree row to put along the highway to help block some of the road noise. Fall colors would be a plus. Any ideas? Yeah you know, fall color is something we're always chasing here in this area of the world. I wouldn't worry too much about fall color because uh, the, the, the reliable trees that we use in rural areas don't usually have them. But look at uh, Okanese poplar as a really successful... Um, now, would they do a whole row of those poplars or would you s- uh, alternate I would them? do I would do layers, so mm-hmm. a row of poplars as well as a row of, say, Scots pine and a row of, say, Colorado spruce, okay. making sure to give full space between those rows because a hybrid poplar gets a lot bigger than you remember it being. And uh, if you stand beside an old poplar, you're going to have to do some pacing and see... How far should I really be planting that next row of spruce or pine away from mm. that poplar row? Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, too, that nothing grows on the north side of a hedge of hybrid poplar. Oh, okay. Right. So <laughs> too much shade. Too much shade. Plant okay. some hostas. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We're going to have a question here about fertilizing on top of the snow. That's an interesting one. Uh, Jason and Karnduff wants to talk about uh, cherry trees. And we're going to talk about a flowering crab with Dale, who's on the f- phone lines. Dale, hang on. We're going to get to your call as soon as we get back. I'm Jay with Jill. And we've got our special guest, Aaron, today from Lakeshore Garden Center. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. The show is already flying by. Welcome back to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay with Jill Van Dyvendyke. We've got Aaron Cron from Lakeshore Garden Center and Lakeshore Tree Farms with us, who's our special guest today here to answer your questions. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to talk uh, a couple of texts in a second, but Dale has been waiting patiently on the line. Thanks for your patience, Dale. He's out in Regina. Good morning, Dale. Good morning. Good morning. Love your program. Oh, Always thanks. Do. So you're, what's your question for us today? Hey, I've got a flowering crab it's probably about uh six foot uh, round ball i like to trim it all the time but for the last few years i got about a quarter of the blossoms or the blooms and am i doing something wrong by trimming it you know, uh, i like to keep it nice and round but uh you're not doing anything wrong uh if your plant is healthy then you're doing fine however 
when you uh, uh, an apple tree blooms on second year wood. So any of the current year's growth is not going to have blooms on it. If you continue to cut those that growth off, you're going to end up having less places for it to bloom next year. So my suggestion, if you are are doing a topiary, I think is the term for keeping a formal ball out of a tree that usually would be much larger, is to uh, allow it to bloom and then trim it after. Even if it looks a little bit scraggy before the blooms come out? Well, remember that uh, they only bloom in late May usually, sometimes early June. And if you can wait that long to trim it, it would be best for the blooms. Okay. So maybe... Just a few weeks. Let it bloom and then... Give it and a then shoot. you can trim it lots from between after, like from June until until August to keep it nice and round, and then it will go dormant for the winter and then wait again for it to bloom again. There is a trade-off to this practice. And because it's such a beautiful, beautiful bush. Oh, it, it, I, I bet it looks great. Um, the trade-off to shearing an apple tree in the middle of the season is you do leave it open to some disease. Um but uh, you got to kind of pick your poison that way. You are forcing a tree to do something that it's not built to do. No, that's probably what I've been doing then. Oh, okay. good luck. Hey, and I love your program. Been listening to it for a number of years now. That's a great deal. Thanks for joining us. Have a good day. Bye bye. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. So, Aaron, you said blooms in second year wood, right? How about third and fourth? Is it does it have one season, or well, once those uh, those uh, they're called spurs, I think is what the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the term is. Once those spurs are established, those fruit growing spurs that bloom continue to uh, provide fruit for multiple years after that. Mm-hmm. And um, when you go to an apple orchard, uh, for example, you'll see that they select specific branches and uh, let those spurs stay there. They're not shearing down the plant to make it shorter. Mm-hmm. They're select giving giving each branch space to provide fruit for multiple years. Mm, okay. And uh where the where the blooms are is where the fruit is. I'm only asking because I have a spring snow crab which doesn't make any fruit, but it you know, every year it's sort of made their the trees are doing amazing, but it's making less flowers every year. Mm. When we first got them they were just loaded. But I'm wondering if it just needs to be pruned some more to get it to do that. I, I'm not a plant physiologist. I don't know why <laughs> it would do that. Yeah. Um, and there are people who, you know, I'd have we to have ask We have Robin around. on next week. That's you may true. We can That's ask true. Robin. Yeah, we have another expert with tree pruning coming up. That is very true, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. So, yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'll have to take it up with Robin, see what he thinks yeah, about that. Yeah, hold that question. A healthy tree will, will bloom really well. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think a Keep couple of, a couple of years though, we've had some weird springs mm-hmm. where it's gotten warm, it's and then it's gotten cold. Or it's, yeah, or it's been really wet and then it's yes. gotten really warm too. Yeah. And I know well, there was one year too that I lost them. I lost them from frost. They mm-hmm. kind of came out, and the frost hit them. Pff, they were all gone. There was one year they kind of came out, and they lost them because it was a windstorm. It just ripped yeah. them all off. One so, of those spring storms yeah. with uh, seventy five k winds can sure tear off a lot of flowers. The, yeah, they sure can. And because they only bloom for a few days, you miss. Yeah, oh, but Whereas, those days it's like get the kids in their nicest clothes and put them in front yeah, of those trees. Get the so let's take some pictures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to the text line one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. This is an interesting text. Not sure who it's from, but what about a fertilizer on top of the snow? I see some farmers doing it. Does it work well with gardens and lawns? 
I've never heard of that practice before. I have heard of that practice. I've never done it myself. However, uh, the thing to to watch out for is when the snow melts, it may melt in a certain way that will dissolve the fertilizer and bring it down to a low spot. Yeah. So if the, the ground is still frozen, the runoff will, will carry all that nitrogen because it is water-soluble nitrogen mm-hmm. and bring it to a low spot where... And you may have inconsistent results. And it's like super way. concentrated, right? right. In, in, in some one spot. spot and, and, and nothing in another That's spot. a good point, yeah, because if your yard's not level, it's going to run mm-hmm. to well, a Even if area. the yard is, but the snow isn't, right? Yeah. I look at my backyard and there's a big bowl in the middle, the way the snow banks kind of filled it. There's sort of, you know, four feet around the edges and one spot in the middle dips down to probably only three inches of snow on my lawn. Right. So if you have a, if you're, if, if it's, you're a grain farmer with a very level, uh, field to work with and mm-hmm. the equipment that can do it. I, I'm no grain farmer, but it sounds like there may be some truth to that being an effective use of time. Right. I've got nothing else to do. Let's fertilize in winter. I, I don't know. But f- on a yard, uh, on the scale of a small yard, I would say it's not really something. I would to probably wait around. and do it, yeah. do it when we can have the, the ground is nice and saturated from the melt and yeah. we can yeah. start doing it. And you it later. can irrigate and water in your fertilizer at, uh, in a, in a, con- in a controlled fashion. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is start up your spring and then realize you've ruined your lawn and it'll take mm-hmm, oh, two months geez. to get it back. Right. Yeah, and you're dealing with snow mold and you're Ugh. dealing with this and you're dealing with that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, we were just, we had a text that came in. Uh, this is from Rob, who's in Bellevue. It says, I'm planning to clean up and replant a row of trees on the north side of our farmyard. I have a couple of dozen spruce trees that vary from five to seven feet tall. I want to transplant them into this new row. Uh, what's the best way to do that? Soil prep, fertilizer to start growth, and is there a variety of trees we should purchase to add with the spruce trees? So that's kind of a whole bunch of questions. That's a bunch Aaron, of questions. Sorry. You got that all? I, I do. Loaded. I think the most important thing is timing. When you move a spruce tree, or any tree actually, it should be moved while it's dormant. And spruce uh, start to grow about after the May long weekend. You want to get them moved before then. You should also take with that tree the proper size root ball. And a, uh, a rough measure is for every inch of trunk diameter just above the ground, mm-hmm. you should take a foot of root ball diameter. Oh, wow. Okay. So a four-inch diameter uh, spruce tree should have a uh, 40 to 48-inch diameter root ball. So the limitation is going to be, I think these are five to seven feet tall, probably right. still in the range that you can get a, a tree spade yeah. big enough to move that. We'll use a 36 inch tree spade on all of those and they'll do very, very right. well. So, and, and you should do it, like I said, in, in early May before they start to grow. They do range out though, right? Because there's only, those tree spades only get so big, right? So That's right. So if, when you have a, a 30 foot tall spruce tree, it's not going anywhere. Too often people buy uh, very large spruce trees from a, a, a farm row that someone wants to make a bit of money on. On and maybe remove and and they take far too small a root ball with that big big tree right. and those trees live but they never thrive mm-hmm. they struggle they struggle they mm-hmm. struggle yeah no doubt so for Rob uh, he says is there you know so talk about the timing um, soil prep so mm-hmm. matching the size of the hole to the size of the spade that you're taking the ball that you're taking out right with you're the using tree. a tree spade to move big trees like that right and um, it. Once they're moved, it's really important to baby those trees. They're going to, you've cut a lot of their root system off. You've taken just enough for it to survive. Mm-hmm. And so now you need to, uh, water them consistently, give them fertilizer according to the advice of a, 
a local independent garden center. Mulch around the edge of the tree. Mm, definitely mulch mm. uh, uh, keeps moisture in, provides a cool root zone. Uh, those roots want to develop where there's oxygen, and that's really near the surface. And uh, if you have a dry, sandy, sun-baked surface, um, those 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 feeder roots um, they they don't get an opportunity to establish well, and this and the tree will struggle. So mulch and water are your are your biggest things. And fertilizers too. Fertilizer as well. Is there any uh, variety that he says he asks to purchase to go with the spruce trees? Anything to plant in between or alternate with them? Or uh, I like to advise rural homeowners to get their evergreens planted. Scott's pine and Colorado spruce and white spruce are your mainstays. Scott's pine are very well adapted to a cold desert once established. And then if you have the Scott's pine and or, or the spruce is planted, what should they plant with that? Mm. So they take a long time to grow, right? Okay. We're always saying, wow, spruce trees, they take so long. I want something right now. Well, if you have enough room, uh, look at the different hybrid poplar varieties. Uh, there's narrow and large, big, broad trees available. Um, some of the, the old varieties aren't uh, quite so good, and but the new ones that are coming out are very disease resistant. And then if you plant those poplars, you'll want to plant them on which side of the spruces? Right. So uh, nothing really grows on the north side of a poplar shelter belt. So keep that in mind. Um, but, uh, you know, give look at the 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 mature size of that tree, uh, cut it in half, and that's as close as you should plant mm. anything else. Um, they, everything else needs sun and water too, and a, a, a poplar can really now when they're take it all. When they're digging that hole, um, you you made it a certain size. Should they make the hole that they're digging um, bigger than the the actual root ball? When you're moving trees, it's not a standard practice to oversize your uh, your hole. Um, it's really important for the root ball to match. Um, so the same, hole that's, same root ball, yeah. same size hole. A, glo- a glove fit. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We're going to get uh, to Grant's call in a second. So Grant, hang on the line there. We'll be back to your call as soon as we get back. A couple more texts as well. I'm Jay with Jill and we've got Aaron Cron from Lakeshore Garden Center with us. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Already the last segment here in Garden Talk. I'm Jay with Jill Van Dyvendijk. Aaron Cron is our special guest today from Lakeshore Garden Center, and we've got a little bit more to talk about. We've got a call on the line right now, so let's go to Regina and talk to Grant. Good morning, Grant. Good morning, guys. Thanks for waiting uh, for us. Of, got a question about a plum tree. Um, I'd say I've probably had it for about 10 years. In the early years of having the tree, it did really quite well, and I didn't do a lot with it other than just minor trimming to give it a bit of shape. Um, but in the last few years, it hasn't done worth a darn. In fact, it's had some dead branches off on it, which a couple of years ago, I trimmed some of those off. Last year, I didn't touch it. Um, and so this past summer, I think in total, I ended up getting maybe 16 plums from the tree and actually didn't realize until I went to pick the plums that it had a couple of suckers that probably about half of those plums came from. Mm. So part of, part of me is thinking I'd almost, almost like to keep one of those suckers and maybe try and establish a new tree, mm. and yet I know in my heart that's probably not the right thing to do. So looking for some advice on basically trying to give this tree a new life. I think it sounds to me, Grant, that your plum needs um, some expert pruning. Uh, okay. you, you've allowed it to grow, and it sounds like the understock, the 
the, the seedling onto which your named variety of plum was grafted has started to grow up from the bottom as well. And they will bloom yep. and they may even pollinate each other. And maybe that's why you, you have some plums. But I would, uh, if I were you, I would try to remove as much of that understock suckering, we call it, as possible. Water sprouts is another word. For and which is what I typically do every right. year. These, these And then give the... And give the tree itself some air to breathe, uh, thin it out. Um, it, it's it's not unsk- it's not uh, unskilled work. It's something you may have right. to look up and get some advice for. You also yeah. should take uh, note of the rest of your yard. Do you have a pollinator in that yard, and or was there another plum that was removed recently that well, may affect the a- fruit production of this current tree? I have a second plum tree um, in my front yard that's maybe forty feet away. Mm-hmm. It's relatively new. I had to replace it, so it hasn't. Re- um, I think I've probably had it now for a couple of years. Right. But it's it's it looks like it's had some challenges trying to establish itself. Right. But so I you're... also have um, I've got about a three year old uh, apple tree that's close by. If that makes any difference, the apple tree wouldn't make a difference, but that other plum no. tree might. And if there was a time when that other plum tree wasn't performing, you may have gotten uh, the result. May have been a less successful pollination. Keep in mind too, a late frost can really ruin uh, a fruit set. So some of these years, you know, you get a late frost in the third week of May when a plum is blooming and those those uh, flowers will fail to create a new fruit. And then if one of the flowers fail on one of the trees while it's blooming, it's not going to be there to pollinate the other tree. That's right. Um, right. And if there's a strong winds or if you're in a rural area that is uh, where there are uh, insecticides being sprayed uh, nearby, that can affect uh, the pollinators. So there's lots of different factors that it might just be like kind of a one or two year off thing. And then the next year it might be fine as well, too. So getting some pruning in there, getting your tree healthy, getting that new growth going again and, and thinning it out, I think sounds like. Like Aaron said, that and was keeping your other plum tree healthy as well. Yeah, yeah, we kind of need both so, to make it work, right? Right. And right. fertilize. I can't stress enough. Make sure you're fertilizing that tree. Keep it healthy. Okay. So as far as trimming this tree and getting it, you know, back into you know opening up and giving it some shape, etc. Would am I? My thinking being likely then in that year, I probably won't get any fruit from that tree at all. Oh, that's not necessarily true. Um, you're not going to be cutting off the ends of the branches. You're going to be thinning the tree. And uh, so you're not going to be taking off a lot of the fruiting spurs then. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, though, there are a couple of branches, significant branches, that in fact had no growth on them, that were all, you know, for all purposes, appeared to be dead. Um, Plum trees so are my- susceptible to uh, a lot of issues in their trunks. Uh, check that you don't have wounds that are festering or, or, or uh, quote unquote bleeding that could uh, yeah. that could mark a bacterial infection. Um, okay. Plums are are kind of a uh, a fast uh, um, a fast grower that fruits a lot. They're not like an oak that are impervious to a lot of diseases. They kind of live hard and die young. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking specifically on pruning, too. So you can stay tuned to our show next week as well, and we might have some more tips for you on how to prune that, too. Thanks, Grant, for your question today. I'm sorry we got to go. We don't have any more time. We're actually running out of time here at the show. we gotta, we got to hit the hit tent uh, head off. But uh, we got to thank Aaron uh, here from Lakeshore Garden Center and Lakeshore Tree Farm for coming in today. That was great. Thanks for joining us, Well, Aaron. thanks for the invitation. I had a great time.
Well, it's nice to have a fellow uh, nurseryman here, someone who has grown up in the business, who had mm-hmm. to, before the school bus came, you had to get out there and water those trees and hop on the bus just That's like right. me. Yeah. <laughs> Where other kids fed the uh, fed the animals, we watered the greenhouse. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks guys so much. Uh, and thank you for listening here to Garden Talk. We'll, uh, of course, see you same time, same place next week. We've got another special guest uh, with uh, Arborcrest. Arborcrest, Coming Robin. In. Yeah, you bet. Catch you then. I'm Jay with Jill Van Dyke. This has been Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.